We want to look at a few ideas, some teachings, some issues surrounding the Sabbath, the idea of the Sabbath, the Sabbath. The word Sabbath originally meant to cease from whatever activity that you're doing. We'll get to this later, but you remember how that God ceased from his work in creation. And it says he rested on the seventh day. Well, the word rest there means to cease from that activity. It makes sense to us because we know God does not need rest, right? God... God we know from the Bible would never need to rest at all. He is all in all. Remember Psalm 121? You've read it many times in your life. I find it very encouraging. Psalm 121, He who keeps you, that is our God, He will, ne he will ne neither slumber nor sleep. He will not fall asleep at the will. He will not let go of the will. And so the ideal originally, God created this great universe. He ceased from his work. That work. But God is always working in our behalf. It does us a lot of good to think about that because when we're weary and tired and when we're perplexed and when we're anxious, it's good to go back and remember that God never gets tired. His everlasting arms are just as strong during the night as they are in the morning. So let's think about some questions in regard to the idea of the Sabbath. This will involve mostly things that we'll remember from the Old Testament and then some from the New. First question is this. If someone says to you, we got to get back to the Ten Commandments. How should we respond? What do you think that they're saying? If someone says, I've heard thousands of times people say, we've got to get back to the Ten Commandments. What are they saying when they say that? Get back to the old law of Moses. Okay. What, what are they saying when they say, we've got to get back to the Ten Commandments? Yeah, they're thinking, they're thinking how that uh, there's a moral decline around us. There's a moral decline in the world. There's a moral decline uh, in, the, um, in, the, in the country, in the families. So how are you going to respond? Because you're going to hear this. This sort of sounds like a good opportunity to speak up 
What do you think? What are you going to say? Very good thoughts, um, Allison. You could say, I learned this from Brother Maynard. You, when somebody brings up a religious topic, you want them to do that, but you need a little delay to get your thoughts together. You need a phrase. He would always say, that's interesting. That's interesting. And then he would ask them to clarify. Usually while they're doing that, then you're getting your thoughts ready. Okay. So you can say something like, well, that's very interesting. What is it? What do you mean by that when you say, we need to get back to the Ten Commandments? What do you mean by that? And most likely, they're going to talk about the, the decline of the family or decline of behavior, godly behavior uh, in, this, in this world. Okay. And then what are you going to say after that? Okay. Now, here's, what, here's one thing you can say. You can ask them a question and say, well, do you know that the, the new law, the new, the new covenant, the New Testament of Jesus is actually a, a higher standard, a higher standard of uh, godly behavior than even the Old Testament? Uh, did you understand that? Most people would not understand that, but it indeed is the case. Okay. Um, and there are several passages. What comes to your mind when you think about the New Testament has a higher moral code than even the Old Testament does? What? Right. How does he expand on that when he says, you shall not commit adultery? Right. So Jesus, Jesus does expand and, and brings more depth uh, to uh, many of the Old Testament uh, requirements. That's right. And in fact, he, he goes right to the heart of every um, situation. All you have to do is just open up your Bibles. Um, one passage that comes to mind is Ephesians 5, if you want to run over there right quick, and we'll move on to our next question. 
real soon, but Ephesians 5 is just chock full of encouraging uh, behavior statements. Uh, verse uh, 3, sexual immorality and all impurity, all covetousness must not even be once named among you. See, look at that high code of, of morality. And then he goes on to talk about filthiness, and foolish talk, crude joking, and the list just goes on and on throughout there in Ephesians 5, and then in Ephesians 4, and verse 25, if you look, glance up there, put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth, and then at the end of that chapter 31 and 32, Ephesians 4, let all kinds of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Be kind one to another. These types of statements just take care of so much of the kind of person that we ought to be. It just uh, flatly encourages godly behavior. You know, 1 Peter 1, uh, what is it, 13 and 14 says, um, Since God is holy, then what? Be holy. Be ye holy as I am holy. Now, you don't get any higher standard than that. And so someone brings up the Ten Commandments. They're probably going to be talking about moral behavior, and that's a great opportunity to talk about the high moral code of the New Testament. Now, let's go to this question. When, where, and to whom, and by whom were the Ten Commandments given in the first place, which includes the Sabbath day commandment. Okay. So when and where and to whom and by whom were the Ten Commandments first given? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When they come out of captivity in Egypt and Got down to uh, close to what mount? Yeah, Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb uh, is called. Okay, let's let's pick out a few passages and make sure we have them uh, marked. Uh, we'll start in Exodus 20. Exodus 20. This is. God through Moses speaking um, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. This is right here at Mount Sinai. But jump on over now to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Start in verse 1, 1 through 5, Deuteronomy 5, 1 through 5. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Okay. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all us, 
all of us here alive today. As the Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up into uh, the mountain. And notice that he's talking about the covenant that the Lord made at Mount Sinai and then glance down to verse 12 of Deuteronomy 5 and notice he's restating the law and that involves the Sabbath. So probably about um, 1500 B.C., God through Moses gave the Ten Commandments, the, the Mosaic Law, the Sabbath day observance. He gave that to who? Who did he give it to? The children of Israel. The children of Israel. Not with our fathers did he give it. Not to our fathers. Not with our fathers did he make this covenant. Now from there, go over in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. We're going to be looking at chapter 9, Nehemiah chapter 9, verses uh, 13 and 14. You came down on Mount Sinai, and you spoke with them from heaven and gave them you gave them righteous rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments, and you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and the law by Moses, your servant. So once again, notice where? Mount Sinai. And he spoke this to the children of Israel, made known to them the holy Sabbath. The holy Sabbath was made known as an observance, as a holy day at Mount Sinai. Now, one other to Mark, and we'll, we'll move on. Look over in your prophets to Ezekiel 20. Ezekiel chapter 20. God rehearsing the things that he had done for his people, and yet they still rebelled. Here in Ezekiel 20, he says in verse 12, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbath as a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Okay. So the Lord gave the Sabbath day observance as a sign between he and Israel. He and Israel. So when... Well, technically about 1500 B.C., where at Mount Sinai, to whom the children of Israel, through whom Moses, my servant, okay, was given as a sign. Now those four passages will, will serve you very well if you can have them written down. I just, tell you, I just go to each place and write down the others. But those four written down in front of your Bible or out in the margin beside Exodus 20, verse 8, it will serve you very well because when you're, when you're approached 
then you have your Bible and you have the passages and you'll watch people and you'll watch their eyes and they, they have never seen uh, these, these teachings. All right, next question. How many Sabbaths, plural, were the Jews required to observe under the Mosaic law? In a year's time, how many Sabbaths would they would be required to observe? That's why we ask this question. Turn over to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. And notice, true enough, every Sabbath day was to be observed. But also notice that Leviticus 23 lists several of the annual feasts, different feasts that the Jews were required to observe. And a part of these feasts had additional Sabbath days thrown in there. Now, when we, talk, when we say Sabbath, remember the word doesn't mean just seventh day. It means it means to cease from your work. Okay. And sometimes God would just call upon them to take rest okay, in association with these feasts. For example, Leviticus twenty-three. Verse 23 talks about the Feast of Trumpets. And just for time's sake, we'll just refer to this one. The Lord spoke to Moses, Leviticus 23, 23. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work that day, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. So there were more Sabbaths associated with different feasts here, and you can read all of that chapter and see some of those. Most scholars say that by the end of the year, a faithful Jew has observed about 59 Sabbaths. And then what else were they to observe in regard to a Sabbath? Not just annually, but what? Every seventh year, what would happen? Yeah. All right. Yeah. In your Bible, look at chapter 25 of Leviticus and notice verse 8. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, and he starts talking about that year of Jubilee. So they were, they, would, they were to let the land rest each 50th year. And I believe there's some instructions even to the point where they were every seventh year they would let land rest. So just to point that out, when you, if you're talking to someone about keeping the Ten Commandments, then there is that principle, I think it's mentioned in the book of James, that if you're going to do part of the law, you've got to do all the law. You're charged to keep all the law. Okay. So how many Sabbaths? Well, there's several. 
not just the seventh day rest, there were others associated with it. All right, this question, on which day of the week did the members of the New Testament church meet for worship? You know it to be the first day of the week, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on this. Acts 20 and verse 7 in Troas, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, the church at Corinth was meeting on the first day of the week. This is in solemn remembrance of Jesus' resurrection day, Luke 24, verse 1, Luke 24, 13, and many others. John calls this the Lord's Day, Revelation 1 and verse 10. And if you're in Leviticus still, Leviticus 23, verse 15, talks about the day of Pentecost being the, on the morrow after the Sabbath. And so the church, Acts chapter 2, had its beginning. It started out meeting on the first day, the day after, uh, the morrow after the Sabbath, it says there in Leviticus 23. And so clearly, um, members of the church met for worship on the first day of the week. Okay? How do we know for sure then, next question, how do we know for sure that the law of Moses uh, with the Ten Commandments have been terminated? This is what Julie was getting into a moment ago. Let's look at a couple of those passages. Uh, the chapter 2 passages, Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2. Run over there and make sure you see what uh, we're supposed to see, Ephesians 2. Verse 14, beginning in verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in, in himself one new man in one place of, two, of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in, um, in one body through the cross, through the cross. So all this was to happen in the cross. Jew and Gentile were to come together, be reconciled through the cross of Jesus, but also it's through the cross of Jesus that these law of commandments, these ordinances, uh, were abolished, were abolished, Let's see, yeah, verse 15, abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, see that, verse 15, Ephesians 2, 15, okay, through the cross, now jump over in a similar passage in Colossians 2, verse 14, By counseling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, okay, nailing it to the cross. Okay, he took it out of the way and he nailed it to the cross. Look at verse 16 though. Therefore, since this is the case, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I don't know how you miss that idea that he's, he's saying, 
you're not to look at someone who is not observing a feast of the Old Testament or a Sabbath of the Old Testament. You can't look at them and judge them or condemn them for, for not observing that because that has been taken out of the way and nailed uh, to the cross. Now in Romans 7, Paul says that we have become dead to the law. Romans 7, verse 4, isn't it? We become dead to the law by the body of Christ. That is, in other words, the same, the same little uh, idea is floating here through Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2 and now Romans 7. Through Jesus' work on the cross, okay, in God's ultimate plan, through Jesus' work on the cross, he abolished, he, he terminated the old law. Okay. So because of that, the body of Christ, we are now dead to the law as followers of Christ. In Romans 7, though, it becomes pretty clear that, that uh, the law that we are dead to includes the Ten Commandments because if you keep reading, verse uh, 7, what shall we say, Romans 7, verse 7, that the law is sin by no means, Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet, except the law had said, you shall not covet. Of course, you shall not covet is part of the Ten Commandments, and that's the very law that we have been made dead to through the body of Christ. Go ahead, Martin. Read that to verse eight. Okay, so you're in Hebrews chapter eight, and was that verses what seven and eight? So Mark's referring to and reading for us there, Hebrews 8, verses 7 and following, uh, talking about the old law being replaced. Made the first one obsolete, 7 and verse 13. 7, 13? 8, 13. 8, 13. Okay. Back up, Allison, to read chapter 7 of Hebrews in verse 12, Hebrews 7 and verse 12 as well. Change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. Okay. So that, in there in Hebrews 7, verse 12, we've been talking about how Jesus has become our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Okay. And so there's a clear change of priesthood, and where there's a change of priesthood, there's a change of the law. Okay. And all this fits together in God's ultimate plan. Okay. All right, next question here then is, is it right to refer or to think of Sunday as the Christian Sabbath? Is it right to refer to Sunday 
as the Christian Sabbath. What do you say, Brother Paul? You think we should refer to it as the Lord's Day, Revelation 1, verse 10? Okay. Any other thoughts about that? Does the New Testament speak of the Lord's Day as a day of rest? What do you think, Brother Nathan? Got a firm shake? Supposed to be working for the Lord every day. Okay. By and large, your and my religious friends will think of it in that way. Okay. In fact, we need to stop and, and remember this, that by and large, the church-going people around us here, when they look at these passages we've been looking at, they will say, well, it's the ceremonial part, the ceremonial part of the old law that's been nailed to the cross, not the Ten Commandments. Okay. All the feasts and the washings and the animal sacrifices, that's clearly been nailed to the cross, but the Ten Commandments have not been nailed to the cross, even though Romans 7 is pretty clear there, and Colossians 2 is pretty clear there as well. But they have that dominating, that's dominating in their minds. And so at some point in history, by and large, church-going people began to refer to Sunday as our Christian Sabbath. It implies that Christ said he would take away the old law, that he had fulfilled the old law, but then he didn't really do it. If we're going to hang on to the Ten Commandments and the Sabbath, day. This little book here, Brother Paul, let me borrow this. Um, but it has a little quote here from the Westminster Confession of Faith, 1646. 1646. But it talks about the law of nature that in general a due proportion of time to be set apart for the worship of God, so in His Word, by a positive moral and perpetual commandment, binding on all men in all ages, he has particularly appointed one day and seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto him, which from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ was the last day of the week, and from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which in Scripture is called the Lord's Day, and is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath. So perhaps it was the Westminster Confession of Faith, 1646, that got this started. But there's more to the quote here. But referring it to it as a Christian Sabbath. And so that makes another good opportunity uh, for us to speak to folks about the New Covenant. The New Covenant is so key to understanding the Bible, that the fact that, we, that God has narrowed it down for us today to the New Covenant. We learn from the old, but we are uh, commanded and we are directed by the new. Okay? And once, once you get a person there, once, once you both are there in the New Covenant, 
understanding that part. Then you're on third base. I mean, you're rounding second as far as conversion takes place. It's, it's, it's just that huge. In the Fishers of Men studies and the pamphlets, lesson three was always on these ideals. And once you, if you ever got a person past lesson three, then it was, it was, um, it was a joyous time because you felt like you were on the same page at that point. Right, so, uh, no, we should not, uh, but I remember, um, as like you guys have done so much, I would grow up and, and, and we'd go to church on Sunday and then we would gather at Grandma's for uh, lunch, a big long afternoon lunch, and I remember the men sitting around, I would sit on the floor at their feet, and they would talk about, and it was an issue in those days, whether you should be able to go home and cut your grass that afternoon or whether or not you should do any sort of work. Shouldn't you just remain on the front porch or remain in the swing because this is our Christian Sabbath? And they would just vibe back and forth about that. And so the ideal does permeate uh, even Christian uh, people. Okay. And we hear it every Sunday, don't we, Roger, about our Sunday afternoon naps that we, that we take? You don't give one Sometimes you do. Okay. All right. Next question is, um, what about Genesis 2? Let's be turning back there, verses 2 and 3. Does this mean that the Sabbath observance was given by God from the beginning of time and for all of mankind? So somebody read for us uh, Genesis 2 and verses 2 and 3. We've sort of made reference to it already. Genesis 2, 2 and 3. Whoever gets it, read it real loud for us. We're, we have to talk over this, um, these vents back here when the air is going. Okay. So speak, speak real loud. On the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, for he, he rested on that day. So somebody reads that and says, well, hasn't the Sabbath day then been an ordinance from God to man ever since the beginning? And since Jesus referred us back to the beginning with the marriage covenant, so shouldn't the Sabbath covenant be uh, perpetual as well? So what are you going to say? Let me get you started a little bit. It's interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, go ahead and say that first. That's interesting. Okay. It's interesting. Why are you saying that to me at this point, right? Someone makes the world in six days has time to take a break. Right. It doesn't say that he was binding that. Yeah. Okay. So Aaron's on to something there, I think. It doesn't say that God was binding that on, on us or on the world. Moses is writing Genesis, right? 
Moses is pointing out the purpose of the Sabbath day observance okay, with the Israelites. But he wasn't referring to the time of that on, in that passage. If you notice, from Genesis onward for a thousand years or so, there's no one observing the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. Okay. So we've got to keep that in mind. And then what else do we have to keep in mind? What have, what have we just read from Deuteronomy 5? What did, what did Moses say in Deuteronomy 5? Yeah, you, God made that covenant with us, not with who? Not with our fathers. Okay, we underline that in Deuteronomy 5. It's not made with our fathers. In Genesis, it does not say he made a covenant with anyone, but it does say specifically there, both in Deuteronomy 5 and in Nehemiah 9, that he made a covenant, not, and not with our, our fathers. Okay. Awesome. Right. There was no specific day of worship, Mike is saying. Abraham was great at worshiping, was a very worshipful being. He would build an altar and worship God here and there. And it's so right. Remember that Moses is writing, but when is Moses writing Genesis? Okay. Yeah, a long time after the events of Genesis. So most likely when Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, then the Sabbath day was already and observance. It was already established with the children of Israel. Okay. And so it would be natural for Moses to refer to it. Now, we use this in our language when we will combine two events that are separated by time, but we combine them anyway because they're similar in content. Okay. Uh, for example, if we said... Um, when was President Trump born? Well, do you know that answer? June 14, 1946? Okay. But he wasn't president when he was born, right? But we do that in, in our sentences all the time. We will combine two ideas, two thoughts, because they are similar, but, but they're not, necessarily, they're not necessarily, necessarily happening at the same time. I think that's what Moses is doing here in Genesis 2 as well, okay? He and his time in which he's writing, Sabbath day is being observed, okay? And so when he records the uh, Genesis account, okay, he mentions that in association because one of the purposes of the Sabbath day was to remember God's creation work, okay? And so that is a great thing to remember. And um, when you look at Exodus 20, that is specifically pointed out that when the Sabbath law was given, verse uh, 11, for in six days, Exodus 20, 11, six days the Lord made heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that in the, is, and rested the Sabbath day. So one of the purposes for the Sabbath day was to reflect on what God has done. Okay. What am I to be reflecting on if I'm taking a, a if I'm, Ceasing from an ordinary work, they, God wanted you to stop and think about the creation. 
stop and think about the power of God. Okay. So. All right. So quickly to this uh, last question. Question I wanted to ask is not up there. Okay, if if what we have seen is true and it is, what about the Gentiles of the Genesis record? What about the Gentiles of the Old Testament? Okay. Did they have a, a moral, a spiritual, a religious responsibility before God? And if they did, how do we know that? Because this, people are going to ask us about this. Well, what about everybody else in the world? If the, if the Sabbath was not, if the Ten Commandments was not for everybody, then, then what about these people? Were they just free to go about and do what they wanted to do? Okay, referring to the conscience there in Romans 2. 13 and 14. Okay. We generally refer to the age as a patriarchal age because mainly God spoke through the heads of the family, but there also were priests like Melchizedek who were going around teaching about God's ways. You have not a Jew. There are many nations among the Jews. True. You know, a, a few Wednesday nights ago, we were in Genesis 18, and we and God, you know, looked at Sodom and Gomorrah, and said, "Their sin has come up before me, and, and it is very grievous in my sight." All right. So. There was some sort of law from God. You know, sin is a transgression of the law, 1 John 3, 4. So God definitely had a law in place for uh, the Gentiles. What did, um, what did God say to Cain when he killed Abel? Genesis 4. His, yeah, Abel's blood was crying out to me. Genesis 9 and verse 6, when they came off the ark, knowing his family... He gave the law about murder, right? You shed innocent blood by man's hands, you shall be shed. Okay, you shall be killed. Okay. Jonah's mission to Nineveh shows that God expected responsibility, religious responsibility from the Gentiles. Okay. When you think about Job, Job's excellent godly character was pointed out in Job chapter 1. He was a patriarch. All right, so we'll talk more about this maybe uh, later on. Thank you for walking through some of these ideas. This falls on the category of what, what do other people say about the Bible? And God calls upon us in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 to rightly divide the word of truth, to be able to handle it uh, correctly. And... Um, the lack of that is why there are so many religious groups uh, in this world.